Namaste, everyone. Happy Absolute Independence Day coming up. It's right upon us, just a couple of days from now. Hey, Shoshone, you guys are looking pretty, pretty deep there. About five rows deep. That's pretty cool. See you in like 16 hours. <clears throat> so, yeah, like right after this class is done, I'm just going to pack all this stuff up and then we're bringing it to Shoshone. So tonight, tonight we get to study, I think a really, it's a, it's a topic that comes up um, occasionally, but I wouldn't say we dive into it super deep every time, but tonight we will. In fact, the word dive is actually in the sutra tonight, which is pretty cool. But the, the, the topic that comes up tonight is um, the idea of going beyond the physical posture of our practice. Not just yoga postures as physical postures, but everything that you want to call the practice, like going beyond it in order to experience where it's taking us. The actual experience of Shiva. As Swami Muktananda told Babaji in a private satsang once, what is beyond the void? He said, then your mic seems a little quiet. <clears throat> um, thanks for the heads up. I'm going to have to all work on that in just a sec. So, so I'll leave it at that. So we're going to go beyond the void tonight, beyond the physical, um, and I guarantee it, or your money back. <laughs> so uh, let's start first with some movement. Um, I'm going to pan over to Abaya, and we'll sort of help get ourselves grounded in our seats, grounded in the present. Hmm. Hi everybody, um, you can take a moment to shift your seat around. Can you hear me okay? Okay, great. Well, this is what Dharma is doing. You must be able to hear me really well. <laughs> um, so take a moment just to shift your seat around and start to feel your physical body, to go beyond it. First we just bring more consciousness to the way we inhabit it all of the time and as you gently start to shift the weight let the legs and the pelvis be heavy as if they're helping you stay grounded to the earth and see if you can witness the beating of your own heart Maybe you can feel the rhythm emanating from the chest. And when you try to feel the heartbeat, you don't change it in any way, you just observe it. And see if you can bring that same quality of observation to your breath flow. No changes or alterations, just observing as naturally as observing the heart beating. And as you observe the breath, you might start to notice where the breath expands into the edges of your skin, front of the body, the back of the body, the sides of the body. And try to continue noticing and feeling as you make ever so gentle circles with the spine. And so you're taking the edges of your skin slightly to the left, slightly forward, slightly to the right and back and move so very slowly just noticing how the breath interacts with the physical body you can go the opposite direction 
And then let the circles get so small that an outside observer wouldn't even know that you were moving. And notice how much your awareness has grown of the sensations in the body, the fullness of the breath. And just allow yourself to be perfectly still, connected to the body, yet beyond it, connected to the breath, yet even beyond that. And from this place of expanded awareness and deep inner connection, we will start to shift into our sutra. Explore the Sanskrit together. Asanasta Sukam Prade Nimajati Asanasta Sukam Prade Nimajati. You can play with that yourself as a mantra. It's actually pretty fun. The first word, especially, is really unique. Asanasta. Sanasta Sukam Prade Nimajati. I'm assuming audio is a little bit better. Thanks. Seated in that real posture, the yogi effortlessly dives in the ocean of nectar. Seated in that real posture, the yogi effortlessly dives in the ocean of nectar. As I said before, this sutra is an exploration of what's beyond the postures of our practice, whether that's the seated posture of meditation, uh, an actual, like a yoga posture the posture of a breathing exercise, the posture of a mantra. These are all positions uh, we assume, we, we, t we take upon us in order to guide our awareness inwards. But the sutra is sort of asking that we begin to explore this idea of working with those postures effortlessly and by doing so allowing ourselves to actually sink into our true nature. Normally when we use a tool we're using the tool externally to, to sort of create a reality that's it doesn't exist yet. We're sort of trying to shape reality with our tools, right? Well, uh, according to yoga, it's just it's this very interesting conundrum. We are Shiva already. The house is already built. And so the way that we use our tools doesn't quite exactly mirror how we use our tools in our everyday life. On the one hand, there's effort in our practice. There's work. On the other hand, our practice is a recognition practice, a realizing practice. We are already Shiva in that our work is to realize it. And so in a sense, the house is already built that we're working on building. And so this sutra brings all of that up for us, allows us to look at that from a few different directions and explore it. So you could say that we're, um, you know, going beyond the seat because in the sutra the word asana is used to represent any form that we want to put our practice into. 
It could be the seat like this, like I said before. There's a variety. In particular, um, I think Lakshmanju particularly uses uh, the Yoga Sutras as an example because the Yoga Sutras have the eight limbs of yoga. In this text, he refers to them as Yoga Darshana, the, 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 the vantage point of the yogi kind of. And the eight limbs of yoga, as you may or may not know, start with like non-harming, non-greed within a community, then cleanliness and divine conduct within yourself, the yamas and the niyamas. And then from there we climb up to doing asana, like yogic posture, like physical practice, and then pranayama. And then from pranayama we can reach up to concentration practices, pratyahara, and from there dhyana, uh, meditation practices. And, uh, and so, but we see all of this, though essential, to our work isn't exactly the end, right? So um, let's take a look at a quote that comes up in the sutra. Hey, Jay Ma, um, would you mind reading this quote if it's sort of legible from your screen you're on? Go for it. Yeah, I can see it. Cool. Um, actually, the postures asanas explained in the yoga darshana are not really asanas at all. Shiva yoga is the only posture that must be understood when we are seeking to understand the real posture of such a yogi. This real posture is a supreme energy of awareness. You are seated in that posture when you hold and possess the supreme energy of awareness. Then in each and every act of your life, you are aware you are seated in that posture. This is the real asana. Thanks, Jema. So take your time with that, everyone. So this isn't really like uh, saying like physical yoga is not yoga. I mean, it is, but it's saying all of the practices that are grouped into the eight limbs of yoga, all of them um, are somehow not quite the real thing that we're seeking, even though, though of course, they, might, they do help us attain that. What is the real posture? What is the real practice, you know? And so... Does anyone want to summarize that? I mean, I, if this is the first time you're seeing this text, I can see, oh, that would be hard to summarize. But how does, how do you feel like, what is he saying is the real posture in your words? Go for it, Anju. For me, when I was reading this, what comes up is like within our practice, how we're always trying to find that seat and expansion in the heart. And that that's what we're always working towards and absolutely everything we do in our day, whether it's brushing our teeth or sitting on our cushion, that, you know, this isn't this practice we do for 30 minutes in the morning and at night, but it, it's something that's with us throughout our entire day. And it's that spark of awareness and keeping that energy inside and, and that recognition that that is the real act of doing yoga. Thanks, Andre. Um, I really appreciate your perspective on that. Actually, it helped me see it. So it's not so much about saying these eight limbs aren't the real yoga, but it's more like saying there's so many ways that we can use our life for growth. There's so many opportunities for awareness. There's so many. It, it's just like don't limit it to these. Like really see like that this awareness that permeates I say brushing your teeth you know to uh, to your meditation cushion like this awareness is so much bigger and it can't, really can't be pinned down to any certain quantity so i think that really helped me out actually sort of expand the vantage point i don't want to rush anyone but we can move on to another aspect of this, if that feels good to you. If there's any comments or questions, by all means, raise your hand. Hi, Jay Ma. Um, 
Okay, Yogita, go for it. means that you're oh, in your heart. A little quiet. Okay. Can you hear me? I'm just turning it up all the way. Go for it. Okay. You can hear me now? Okay. Um, when it, you're in your heart, no matter what's going on all day long, you're, you're seated um, in, your, in your heart, no matter what's going on around you. That's all. <laughs> nice. Yeah, the heart itself being the real seat, like that's where you're really sitting. You might be sitting in a chair, might be sitting on a bus, you might, you know, you might not be sitting at all, like walking around, but the seat of your awareness is in your heart. Thanks. And so when I was working with this sutra, and again, just raise your hand, or if I missed you, just unmute and speak up. When I was working with this sutra, um, the, the practical aspect of, of how do we do this and, and unlocking sort of that, that experience of this came from this, the next section that I want to highlight for us all. And the emphasis of the next section is on the term sukham. So we know the word sukham uh, probably from, you know, your, if you did a yoga teacher training, you came across this word when Patanjali described the, the, the physical postures of yoga as well as the seat of meditation. He says they should be uh, practiced with effortless effort, stira and sukha, a balance of effort and effortlessness. And so this sutra particularly focuses on the word sukham because sukham was actually in the sutra itself. As asanasta sukham hrade nimajati. So asanasta, the asana, the, the seat, then sukham, effortless. And so this is uh, where the sutra starts to to help us walk towards this experience. Hey, Jaganmati, it's good to see you. Do you want to read this one for us? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, all good. Leaving aside the effort of asana, yogic exercises, pranayama, breathing exercises, dhyana, contemplation, and dharana, meditation, simply remains in that posture with nothing left to do, aware of what he actually is. This is why the author has used the word sukham in the sutra, because effortlessly means that without exerting any effort in respect to breathing or yogic exercise, contemplation or meditation, they remain seated in that posture. Great job reading that oddly abridged part of the quote. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Oh, So we, we see a, um, the crux, for me, the crux in this point was the idea of leaving aside the effort, and then if you cut all the way to the, the end, um, while remaining seated in that posture, right? He doesn't say to accept, to reject the posture. We don't, it's not like we do nothing. We do a very particular something. We have the effort of asana, for example, your yoga class or the effort of pranayama or the effort of meditation. And we slowly but surely try to just loosen. We try to loosen our effort, leave us, leaving aside the effort, just placing it aside, right? Leaving aside, I just while remaining seated in the posture. So when, when you're trying a meditation practice and, 
and your mind drifts, well, that, that, that wasn't you placing anything aside, right? That was you like just whoa, being drawn out. But when you can stay centered and you're doing your mantra and you're able to say the next mantra with just like a little less external grip and a little more internal sensation, like that little shift that we might do with one mantra at a time is how we sort of leave aside the effort and while remaining seated in the quote posture. And so it's a very gradual process, but it's something that we're, we do when we've been taught to do. Um, I mean, the idea of starting your mantra at the mouth, making your way to the throat, making your way to the heart. This is you leaving aside the external effort of the mantra in order to sort of connect with the actual, like the more energetic power of the mantra. And if your mind drifts while you do it, well, you do it a little louder. Gita. To me, this, uh, these couple of sentences uh, speak to what Babaji refers to as stewardship, where you get uh, focused on the doing rather than the relaxing and just being in the, uh, in the posture. And whether that is the meditation or pranayama or that beyond all of that, beyond the void, it's really uh, allowing yourself to, to be. Rather than do. Thank you. Yeah, I think what you're hitting on with the be rather than do is is from back to the idea that we are Shiva already, that we can connect to that being. We don't actually have to build it. It's there. And so just reminding ourselves, like trying to keep those scales balanced as we practice. Thank you for that. I see Jay Ma's hands up. Anything else you want to add be uh, before we move on? Gita, is that good? Good. Thanks. Jayma, go for it. I was gonna, just going to say that it feels very much like surrender to me mm -hmm. when they're saying this, like, like yeah, you're going to do the asana and you're going to do the pranayama and contemplation and meditation, but you're not attached to that. Like, if you can do those, like, in a complete state of surrender, then you're, you're always seated in the heart, right? You're always, you're always in that state. Um, yeah, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just sort of sitting with what you, you said. Yeah, that definitely came up for me as well. Hint, hint, the next slide has the word surrender on it. And um, the idea of practicing with surrender, like doing a mantra with surrender, is that sort of feel like it's in the same direction as what you're talking about? Yeah. It's just, you know, it's such a big term that I think we often place it on a pedestal. Like, oh, the, that experience is, is encapsulates like our whole practice. So I'll do, I'll be able to do that when I'm like in the deepest meditative state. But, but this is just saying like, no, you gotta actually you gotta you gotta practice with surrender to experience surrender and that you can do that like and it starts by just trying to do your practice with a little bit less effort while maintaining your focus is always the caveat like that's a great way I, according to how i'm interpreting the sutra to walk the path of surrender Yeah, Dharma. Can you hear me okay? Uh, it's quiet, but I can turn my end up. Go for it. Okay, I have the headphones on. So um, I have a question about the term real. And I'm reminded of from a couple of weeks ago, we were discussing inauthentic. And I'm just like, to me, that term real 
resonates a little bit with that authenticity, but I, but I, it's a translation and I'm not sure if there's any connection there at all. Hmm. So that's just a wondering I have. Mm -hmm. Boy, yeah, that's a that's a that's an interesting parallel to bring up, and specifically you're referencing the akrita, the unartificial effort that permeated like the last three sutras. And if we remember back from like Sutra 2.2, there was like a death. Yeah, Lakshman Ju gave us a really cool definition of it when he said something to the effect of it should be absolutely natural yet filled with intense desire. And I think that's exactly what we're going for here, right? The intense desire is like this effort that we do have to bring to our practice, but then the absolutely natural. And I think the last part of that sentence was, and the effort should, this kind of effort also should come from the center of the heart, like Yogita was referencing, you know? And so that's exactly what we're going for. It's another way of understanding, like if we can practice with intensity, yet effortlessness and have it come from the heart we're going that's going to take us there like it's you know that will take us there if we only have the intensity we'll just go in circles right and if we have no intensity whatsoever then well you know that's just not making it to the cushion but yeah i think you're right on i think that's a great way to describe this what we're talking about here in just a slightly different context I, I see cats unmuted. All right, I think I hear it, go for it. Yeah, um, I was reading an article right before this and one of the things that it said, it's about a different sutra, but one of the lines in it that I've been thinking about, which I think also applies here is, it's when we relax and trust that we are transformed. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same thing of like, because you're saying from the heart and so like that that is how you can have effortless effort is when you trust which goes back to what they what dharma and abaya were talking about last week that that is what trust is at least to me absolutely yeah Yeah, like the, the, the relaxing part, I think everybody can get that, but then the trusting part is just that that little bit of activity. Thanks, Kat. I saw another, I think Jagamati, your hand went up, I think. Yeah, I just... I just wanted to comment like through the years, like every time people come and ask Babaji their questions, I feel like I hear this a lot, like people who have been practicing for a while and then they hit this like, oh, I need to like let go of all that effort and Babaji is like, yay, relax, you know? And I just, I feel like this comes up a lot um, when I listen to satsang and, you know, just that, backing away with a little more gentleness in the practice, right? Like releasing a little bit, but not letting go of the effort fully. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up. I've I saw a lot of people nodding because I think either we've heard that, like you're saying, or we've literally been the one saying that and mm -hmm. asking that. That's, you're right. It's sort of like a stepping stone in our realization of how to practice. We have mm -hmm. to eventually come across this in ourselves. That's a great point. Yeah, see, that's none of that. Yeah, sorry, it's right behind the camera. Hi, everyone. Um, I was just thinking about the idea that Baba talks about, you know, how we take the vehicle to the place. Um, 
but then we get out of the vehicle like we don't need to stay in the vehicle and it's just such an interesting uh line you know in a way because I feel like um it's like when I'm sitting especially with Baba lately since he's been back I sit with him on Monday night I do the circular breath I'm putting that effort in and then all of a sudden I just have this kind of really strong vertical energy that just feels like it's just so pure and pulling me up and and then I just let go of all the effort, but I asked him about it last week and he was like, yeah, keep pulling that back down. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you know, so it's like there's that line, I guess, between kind of surrendering the effort and then, but also not letting it all go <laughs> or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's a balance that uh, later in the sutra, it talks about how, how this concept is so personal that no one can ever quite even explain it to you because it has to do with you, with you on such a deep level that you can only understand it through the direct experience of it. And so this, it's sort of like this, how critical it is to have a teacher you know that you can work and then ask and then refine and then try and then ask again and then yeah yeah there's like no way we can map it out and i, I don't mean we but you know just the yogic tradition like it can't be quite exactly mapped out there's no way to communicate it to us from the outside it's, it's, and that's where the sutra concludes by saying it's, it's impossible. Uh, the only way you can understand this is by a direct experience of it. And, you know, Rudy said his enlightenment was learning how to work. And that just keeps that statement becomes clearer and clearer and clearer as we work with the sutras, like learning how to work is literally and from how I understand that statement from Rudy was how he defined enlightenment. So it must be a pretty special um, understanding. Jima. Um, I also thought in, um, I'll be quick because I know we want to move on. But it made me think that um, a while ago I studied like the origin of asana. And I read that like the very, in the beginning, there were really only a handful of postures and that they were depicted on stone walls. That's how they got the original postures. And a lot of, most of them were seated postures. And it just makes me think that maybe there was more to that depiction than just the idea of a physical seated posture. Like maybe they were pointing to something else and we just, you know, everyday people that practice yoga take it like, well, that's the physical part of it without looking deeper into what did they mean by showing this depiction of someone seated? You know, maybe they were pointing to a different seat. Hmm. <laughs> cool. That's like sort of exciting, that concept. Like, it's fun. Sit inside this way, sit inside this way, sit inside this way. It's fun. I'm going to click over to one more uh, slide if everybody's into that. And the idea is that this experience that's indescribable uh, is described as <laughs> diving and sinking. And I added the word surrendering for the reasons I'll say in a moment. But um, 
In the sutra, it is said, the actual translation, I'll read it back. Seated in that real posture, the yogi effortlessly dives into the ocean of nectar. And then Lakshmanju goes on to immediately say, um, you know what, let's, let's just, let's go for it and read it. Um, Meru just saw you appear out of thin air. Do you want to read this one for us? And without any effort, the yogi finally immerses themselves in the universe, in the ocean from which the universe rises and expands. They dive and enter for good in that ocean, which is filled with real nectar. What does diving mean? In diving in the ocean of nectar, they let the impressions of the body, of the breath, of the eight constituents, and of the void sink into the ocean and they become one with that nectar. This is the real way of diving. So we see in the word dive sort of two concepts simultaneous. When you hear the word dive, you definitely think of like effort. Like it's like a, such a, it's like a shape. It's like a posture you would make, right? But then Lakshmanju goes on to sort of, you know, work with that term a little bit because diving was the one given by the sutra itself and interpreted by Shemaraja originally. And then Lakshmanju said, what does diving mean? Um, and he says, they let the impressions of the body, breath, mind, basically is Purishtaka, and the void. They let the, those things, those impressions um, sink into that ocean and they become one with the nectar. So it's again, we see this, oh, is it, is it an efforting, like a dive, or is it like a sinking and releasing? Bob. So um, if you think about an ice cube diving into water, uh, if it dives in for long, its ice cubingness disappears. So if you're doing witnessing type of practice you as you sink into it the parts of you that you define yourself with your name your body your breath everything is uh, slowly like left up there and what's left is just this awareness and um, I've been trying to think about this uh, over the last half a year that sometimes when I'm doing a, a meditation of, or some kind of awareness type of meditation I recognize that I'm there but just barely and that who I am or where I am seems to not be very clear to me at all until I come back to the surface and remember who I am uh, down here on this left. So I feel like I'm, I told Shirley that there's times when I feel like I don't really even know. Uh, what do I say? Exist. But like I don't that. even exist. Yeah, it's like I'm like, well, there was something going on and then I am back here but it 
it's really, really difficult to describe, but the more you do witness yourself or, or witness, watch your mind, watch your mind. And the more you sink in, the less of these outer trappings you even experience. It's all right, you win. I can't explain it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, just threw that in there because it felt like uh, it could be said. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's a reflection on, you know, an experience that you've obviously earned through direct practice, you know, not even through hearing about it or reading about it, but an experience that can be put into words because it is an experience and that's always the i'd rather have that than the right words any day yeah. but what i did hear in there also was this essence of like your uh it feels like being immersed in something like the ice cube in the water it's sort of this full immersion it's a and it's a slow almost uh uh You don't see it happening like the ice cube in the water you just really can't see it but if it's there long enough you know it's going to happen and so it's like like an immersion but it's also a, a diving because as we all know like it takes effort to melt away these layers they don't just melt away because you're sitting there you know they melt away because you're surrendering so there's an effort and then there's also a melting so there's a diving and there's a sinking And hopefully all of us can experience that directly and don't have to bother with the words essentially, because obviously, I mean, it seems like you hit the impasse pretty quick with term with concepts like this. Hey, Sachan, it's Tashi. Hey, Tashi. I didn't, I didn't know if you'd be able to see me if I waved my hand. So I just went for it. Yeah, very barely. Yeah. Okay. So. I just had the thought uh, that this relates a lot to becoming uh, what we focus on. Um, so if you're practicing a lot and focusing on your awareness or you're focusing on uh, the self or bliss or consciousness uh, or letting go, it sort of brings you more and more into focus on your, on your true nature. And then that way you this is it's this sort of is kind of like a question uh i don't totally get it because you you are that right but you're focusing on it and also becoming that uh and you know by also you can also think of contracted things and become that like i am saying i'm sad i'm sad i'm sad and you like become sad or like i am the self and self or focusing on the heart and love and expanding, you become bigger. Uh, so I don't, yeah, that's sort of a question there. Okay. I got you on the last half. That was pretty straightforward as far as, you know, where attention goes, energy flows, you know, um, and then you know, what you're going to focus on, sort of what you will become, even though you might not even, um, something that's interesting about it is like, as Lakshmanji was saying a few sutras ago, you can say I am Shiva, but it doesn't count for anything until you actually are Shiva. And like, you know, we don't know when we're Shiva, I don't know, but we, we know when the mechanism's really working or whether we're just on the surface. You know, and so it's like the mechanism is what's sort of most important. And I feel like this sutra is really just saying like either, you know, you're going to get, you got to get in there somehow. But once you feel that mechanism moving, you can sort of, you can sort of not worry so much about the words on the surface. And, and you really can just turn the gears of your practice without having to have the right words for it or even know what direction you're going, 
you can really actually feel the gears move and start to work with the gears directly is sort of one way that I've been interpreting this, but so I don't know that probably, I don't even know if that serves in any way your comment, but it's just sort of where the direction it, it took me. Thanks. Yeah, that's, uh, that was definitely helpful. Uh, this, this reminds me, I was thinking of earlier, the like being seated, but releasing all the effort. Um, and it's just like that state of being, I forget who's, who was talking about just be, uh, and that's like, yeah, yeah. It's it, for me, that felt like just being empty, like you're seated, like you're here in this posture, but then there's like, everything dissolves. And what's really happening there? And I, I think that's, Bob, the way you explained that was really nice because I can't, I can't explain it at all. <laughs> it's I like, know. it's there. <laughs> I think what this means is we are supposed to meditate. <laughs> like when you can no longer explain it, meditate. Um, hopefully before that point, but um, so, if that's all right with everyone, let's let's meditate for you know at least maybe the next ten minutes and a little a few minutes at the end. I'm just gonna pull up the original sutra. So once you've established your fake posture, we will dive into the real posture of awareness. And just take this first moment to, I want to play with the actual posture. Bring some effort to your actual posture, right? So you're going to sit up straight. You know, if you're in a chair, ideally, you know, your back's away from the backrest, if that's possible. But in any case, so you're sitting up straight and you feel like that takes effort, takes effort, right? But when you feel like you find vertical, when you find that balance point, start to loosen up a little start to leave aside the effort of your asana while remaining upright and in this way you can encounter the work of this sutra at the physical kosha, at the level of the physical body, effortless effort, perseverance without tension. You know, what does it feel like to sit upright, but loosening your grip on it at the same time? You might not even notice little gripping in the shoulders or in the low back. You might not even notice some gripping. So maybe loosen up a little extra while remaining upright. And we can begin with the breath on the same level at first, we'll use effort. Make the inhale and exhale about the same length. Make them smooth. And notice the experience of using effort. It focuses the mind. It shapes your reality. But feel, is, is this the fullest experience of your breath right now? Like, is this what we mean by 
the breath, pranayama, you know, or does this feel more like the most limited experience of the breath? And just experiment for a few moments with what if you loosen your grip a little on the breath? Can you keep watching it? As thoughts arise and as you bite into them, bring yourself back to the breath with effort. Smooth out the breath with effort. And as you feel capable, try to remain in the posture of your breath using less and less effort. The actual practice of using less effort could be said to be the actual practice of watching your breath. This is the real way of pranayama.
notice the experience of using less and less effort while remaining in the posture of the breath. We sink into that ocean and we become one with that nectar. This is the real way of diving. Namaste, everyone. Thanks for making this such a group experience. It's uh, completely unique in that way, such a rare opportunity to be together at this level. Um, oh, welcome, uh, Sydney. It's your first time here. I didn't get to see you, but uh, thanks for being here. Um, and everyone else, good to see you, Tara. Um, have a great weekend. Absolute Independence Day. See y'all at Shoshone or online. Thanks, Shoshone.
Good to see you, Jen. Thanks for coming. Bye, Andrew.